think Duke's probably got the most upside because of the depth they have and the skill level and then having that inside-outside combination. How about that? Stanley finds hurt for a corner three, and Duke puts up 50. This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the diehard Duke basketball fans podcast, the number two team in the country with two blowout victories in the ACC <laughs> to start 2020, dismantling New Year's Eve, BC. We're going to kick it off right there before we touch on the other dismantling Saturday night against Miami before we get to our overreactions. And then we'll talk about a little bit of an ACC recap. And then we'll touch on the Georgia Tech and Wake Forest games coming up for Duke. But AC, let's bring it in real quick. That mm-hmm. was a hell of a way to end the decade of, uh, of the 2010s by just blowing the doors off of Old Boston College. You know, we shot the ball fantastic. And, and I want to start it with, with Matthew Hurt, who's kind of his coming out party. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that was uh... – that was that was kind of brilliant watching him play and his his ability to score. And on last week's podcast, our our buddy Dookie J mentioned it because he's seen a lot of him play and we've talked about it before the season. The guy just knows how to score. Like he is he's he's an exceptional scorer. Like it's it's really high level what he does. And I, you know, I, I even falsely compared him before the season to Ryan Kelly a little bit. He's I mean, he's far ahead of where Ryan even was at that same stage. He's he just he has every level and, and he, from the outside to the inside and he even, he can even put it on the floor. We saw that a little bit too. He can put the ball on the floor a little bit and, and make plays. He's not going to cross anybody up or handle the ball all the way down the court or anything, but he's, he's good enough to do it against other bigs. And there's really not much you can do with him, especially when Vernon is operating so well down low, those two are just a nightmare together and they have to love playing with each other. Like they have to, that, that has to be one draw for Matt being here at Duke outside of having Trey Jones with him was also having somebody like Vernon with him where he didn't have to shoulder the load on the inside. Cause they, they've, they've run a few, quite a few beautiful high, low plays now that it's enough to where it's not, you know, it, it's not a gimmick. It's effective. It's very effective. And the high low between those two, cause they're such good passers for big men. It's awesome to see, man. I love it. We know that Vernon's averaging, you know, nine rebounds a game and, and it's pretty much almost a guaranteed to be, at minimum 18 and eight every single night. Uh, I know that in the BC game, he he was only nine and nine, but that was really kind of an anomaly because that's all we asked him to do. But the reason I brought that up is we know that we're going to get nine rebounds from Vernon Carey, but Mm -hmm. we had, we had six guys average or have at least three rebounds against BC. It means Mm -hmm. that, that Matthew Hurt doesn't have to get in there and fan around with, with the big guys because we know his body's not, caught up to what his skill is yet. But, right. you know, all of our guards are getting into the lane. Cassius is in the lane. Wendell Moore gets in the lane. We know Jack White will get in there. Trey gets in there. Uh, even Jammer Delaurier, God bless his soul, he got six rebounds in this game. So yeah. we, we have guys. We don't, we don't need Matthew Hurt to do anything more than be that great shooter that we know he can be. He was 5 of 10 from 3. That was huge. And, and and really just getting Trey back, I think that, that that was probably such a blessing to to a guy like Matthew Hurt, a guy that's going to get him the ball in the right position, and he knows what to do with, with, with it after that. Oh, absolutely. That was 
it, we, I mean, we knew it was going to be great having Trey back after those first, those, those two games where he sat. And even though we looked pretty good in those two games, I mean, you still know that Trey is absolutely, he is, he's the engine, this whole thing go. We've talked about and he and Vernon as being the most important players on this team. And it still stands. Both of them are in, in their own right. And it's just nice having a third option like Matt Hurt coming out and just being a guy that can just take over in a moment's notice. And the team, and the team absolutely deferred to him when he started taking over in that first half. And it was awesome to watch the unselfishness of everyone else and just really enjoy their teammate going out and just, and just dominating. That's, that's the fun part of this team. A couple iterations of Duke ago, you didn't see that. You had guys wanting to get theirs and making sure that everybody knew their name. But last year with RJ and Zion loving how each other was playing, and then even this year now you have these guys, the entire team loves when somebody's just having a good night and they just feed off of it, man. I've always kind of stated that problem where if you have a team that has too many options to score, when it comes down to crunch time, you don't know who they're going to go to. Well, I don't think that holds true with this team. I think this team is is just fine when when we're going to need them in crunch time for games because we we do have so many options and if somebody is on a roll at that point in time we we know who who's going to get the ball and we know how they're going to get it and for whatever reason if the team that we're playing tries to double off or tries to to focus on that player we just have other options that are just going to fill backfill that and and be just fine like it, it's great it's a great problem to have this team is very complete and versatile <laughs> but it, uh, it's awesome. And you mentioned it. You mentioned with the rebounding, and this, this is one one of the last things I want to touch on. This with against BC, especially uh, you know, forty two to twenty seven rebounding advantage. Can we can we talk about how awesome it is to have a Duke team that is just such a an incredible rebounding team? And you mentioned it. It's really because of the guards. Like the bigs get their share of boards, but our guards are just tenacious on those boards, man. Cassius had five, Trey had five, and Wendell had four. That's so helpful. That's so helpful when you when you force long shots on defense, and then you can still get the stop because your guards are are hunting down rebounds like, like it's their job. Yeah, you know we talk about the versatility. We know we're not going to make everybody two shots again. Versatility <laughs> on offense, but it's really the versatility on defense that makes absolutely. And we're all in there. And we saw it against BC. We also saw it against Miami, which we'll touch on. But the, the ability to pretty much have all four guards in there, who can ever get the rebound first is going to, you know, get the outlet and the break started. This team likes to run. This team yep. wants to get out and, you know, get to the rack. And the great thing about Vernon Terry, one of the many, is he runs the floor better than anybody. Absolutely. He knows. Um, Baseline to baseline, to stay in the center of the floor, more often than not, the right pass is going to get to him, mostly from, from Trey Jones, who had 10 assists to just one turnover. And I actually don't even think the turnover was his fault. It, you know, yeah. Trey just makes the right decision time after time after time. And if we're going to have a guy like that paired with a guy like Vernon Carey, it, it just it might be a more efficient version of Tyus and Jaleel from just a lack of turnovers perspective and being able to get out there and run. Because I think Vernon's a a better runner than Jaleel was. And a better shooter and a better defender all around, all of it. Better defender, better shooter, better rebounder. He rebounds out of his area better than Ja did. 
the team is a better defensive team than that 14, 15 iteration of Duke. And I mean, we, we continue to talk about how there's no, no good to great teams in college basketball right now. This team is getting there. They're, they're, they're very, uh, I don't even want to say slowly. They're getting there. Like there's Jay Billis. uh, We'll, we'll talk about more Miami, but Jay Billis mentioned that there are teams that can beat Duke, which are true, but there's no team in the nation that Duke can't beat, which is also very true. And it's, this is, this is a really good team. It is a bad year in college basketball talent wise and everything else. But this team is going to be really, really special as we continue the season, man. They really are. Yep. And so moving forward, it was a blowout victory to end 2019. And we picked it up right where we left off at the start Mm -hmm. of 2020 by going down to Coral Gables, a place that has been a really tough venue for Duke to play in in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. Just as recently as, you know, when we went down there with Marvin Bagley and we needed Gary Trent Jr. to, to bail us out uh, late in right. the second half. But we, you know, it was, it was kind of a back and forth game for the first 12 minutes or so. And even with Trey on the bench with two fouls, you know, Kane didn't have to put him back in. He said it himself <laughs> because Jordan Goldwire was doing such a great job, but really, uh, to be able to go down there and from kind of at the seven-minute mark in the first half through the rest of the game, just blow the doors off of Miami. Can, can we spend a little time talking about Jordan for a minute? Like, have you – Nate, give me the – you have a really good recall of a lot of this stuff. Give me the last time you felt so comfortable in a Duke game with the backup point guard running the team. Yeah, When was the last the time last... you felt that comfortable? I think the last time uh, was AC. The last time uh, for a Duke team, AC was, um, gosh, poof. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember a time, and that's kind of the point, was, isn't it? I was watching the game, and, and maybe when Chris Duhon was coming off the bench as yeah, a freshman but that, you know, in that, that national so championship that season. That was so long ago. That was 18 years ago. Yeah. God, that's, but, um, that's, but, but I mean, that's kind like, of the point, right? That's the point. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you this, because I'm glad you kind of mentioned that. Did the thought, even though it, it wasn't a serious thought, did the thought ever come into your head that said, eh, we're just as good with uh, Jordan in there as we are with Trey? It it did. It crept in there for a minute. Right. And I then... mean, we know it's not real, but it crept in right. your head. It, that has to it say did. something. It <laughs> right. It, and it does. It does. It absolutely does say something. Like, it was one of those things that crept in for a second, but then like, you, you realize competition – Against against better teams, against the the Florida States and the Louisvilles of the world, I absolutely want and need Trey Jones to be on the floor for me. You know, watching this team, absolutely. But that's one reason why I I I do feel like Vernon Carey is the most important player in this team because he gives us something we don't have down low. Like Jordan on defense, he's as much of a pest as Trey. Trey gets so much credit for his defense, and he absolutely should. But come on, watch Jordan Goldwire play defense and how often he pokes a ball away. Like it's, it's, it's almost every. I'm telling you, it's not an exaggeration to say it's almost every three possessions down the floor he gets a hand on a ball in a passing lane or off the dribble and and just totally disrupts what the other team does, whether we get the steal or not. He totally disrupts what they want to do. I don't know. He he averages one a game where he just rips a ball out of a guard's hands. It, he's so strong. He's so athletic. His arms are long. Like there's, you can't say enough about what he does on defense, man. And and then he comes back on offense, and is a a three assist to turnover ratio guy. 
And the the one play I want to really point out with yeah. him was that fast break. He yep. stole the ball from um was his name McCourty McClurkey or whatever his name was. He the guy slipped on on the logo. Jordan picks it up, heads down court. Rodney Miller is about to pin his shot on the backboard, or so he thinks. Jordan he set him up so perfectly. It was the most brilliant play i saw the entire game he he did the stutter step he grabbed the ball like he was about to try to cock it to dunk it and then just laid a nice beautiful pass to matt hurt for a dunk behind the dude yeah. as he goes sailing into the first row and over there in coral gables it, it was amazing i laughed it was such an incredible play like and, and and you don't see backup point guards all across the nation making plays like that you really don't i love jordan and, goldwire you know, i love that dude <laughs> yeah to, to me <laughs> Um, you know, and that, that was my favorite play of the game. Uh, but really, as, as it relates to Jordan, it really kind of shows you how comfortable he is in his own skin. Oh, yeah. And we knew that he was kind of like that on the defensive end. But as these games have gone on, and maybe maybe Coach K is such a genius for uh, kind of sitting Trey out for those two games to the end, to, mm-hmm. to end the, uh, the, the season, uh, the non-conference season. Because you just saw how comfortable Jordan is yep. uh, r- running the team now. And, you know, obviously we need Trey that, that we're joking around about that. But the reality is, if you would have told me before this season started that I would feel very comfortable with Jordan leading the team, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would have said you're nuts. So that, that's yeah. a great thing. And, 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 and kind of switching gears. We talked about you know Matthew Hurt in the last segment. Let's spread it right back to the front runner for at least ACC Player of the Year, potentially as Jay Bill said, the National Player of the Year. Yeah, give me that. He's on the top of his list. It's Vernon Carey. The yeah. guy was 11 of 14, 24 points, nine rebounds, multiple blocks in front of his family. We said at the end of the podcast last week it was going to be interesting to see how Vernon Carey was going to react to, you know, having his family there, coming back home. He was right. fantastic. And, and, and what, what, you know, what I keep going back to is nothing rattles him. Nothing ever Not rattles him. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if he misses a shot, he makes a shot. If he misses a block, if he gets a foul, uh, you know, nothing rattles him. And, and that is as impressive as anything that that guy does. Absolutely. He's, he's, he is... Uh, he he is very Tim Duncan esque in his how bored he looks on the floor. Like not not the way he plays. I'm not comparing him Definitely to a Hall of Famer, he but he he just looks bored on the floor. Like and he's not bored. Like it's not that he's bored. He is just so even keeled, and that is that is a that is a sign of greatness, man. That is just something that that's a, a thing that's in your DNA. Like you just you have that or you don't. And you know I, I, we love when you know there's fiery guys slapping the floor and everything else, but. That's just not him. That's not what he does. He does get happy. He does get emotional when he needs it. But he is just there's nothing that gets him down, and it doesn't it doesn't affect his play on either side of the floor if he's making or missing shots. Honestly, I don't think he knows what it feels like yet to miss shots because the dude's been over sixty percent every game this season. So I don't I don't really think he even understands what it means to be to to miss shots. So maybe that's maybe when he starts missing shots, we'll say, oh, he, he's he's losing his mind. I don't know, but. He's he's just I mean you can't say enough you can't say enough about what yeah, he's it's getting, he's done it's it's crazy yeah it's getting to the point where we're running out of things to talk about uh, for Vernon Carey because he is I so mean I think the next thing to talk about is just consistent. National Player of the Year he he has yeah, to be in the conversation 
Absolutely. Uh, but we'll, we'll hold that off for, for a little later in the season, see how things go. Let's finish off the Miami game because it was such a blowout that, you know, right. kind of things to say. But it, this was kind of, you know, we talked about Matthew Hurt breaking out against D.C. Post-injury here, this was, this was Cassius, you know, returning yep. to the scene. And, and really in that first 12 to 13 minutes of the first half where, where things were – weren't tight you know Miami's playing with a lot of energy they had the, the home the home crowd into the game Cassius made a couple big shots you know big threes I loved the sequence with him and Vern mm-hmm. when all goes into Vern he drops off that dime bounce yep. pass back door and the, the body control that yeah. Cassius had to be able to finish that for the end one you know if, if, if Cassius is there uh and he, if he is going to play like that, I'll tell you something right now, man. Duke is extremely, extremely scary because who, who are you going to try to take away? Exactly. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot you can do when, when Cassius is playing that way. Even if he's, even if he's not scoring twenty, it's he's still he's still a factor on the floor that you have to take care of, and he's he's proven it now. His, his shot is not a problem. The ball handling is not a problem. His decision making is awesome, and like you mentioned, that play—that was a grown man layup that he made there. It's a twenty-year-old play. The guy's twenty years old. That is a—that is what twenty years twenty years old does for you. That is not some an eighteen-year-old's not finishing that layup. He's just not. Like Cassius has exceptional body control because he is so athletic, but he's also, you know, he's he's older. He's he's got that that old man strength almost for a college player, and it's he he might as he should be a sophomore or junior. And he's that age, and and he's making plays like one of those types of guys. So, it's that what a gift to have him as a freshman, and for one year. To, but to have a guy that mature, and be able to just constantly make the right play like he does, and post injury whatever jitters he might have had after sitting out, I think he's good now. I think he's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think he's fine too, and I think he finally kind of trusts that leg. So, mm-hmm. and I think that was really the, you know, anytime you come off a, a lower body injury, it's, it's kind of all about trust. And yep. I think, I think you finally trust his body. So, hey, two, two monster wins to start off our, basically our ACC schedule. Uh, I know that mm-hmm. we're 3-0 and now, but that, 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 that was kind of a start because now we're, we're 4-2. We're so, we're yep. in it now. So, let's switch gears to our favorite segment, the overreaction segment. Yep. And we, we have we have three of them this week because we really got to dive into them. And I want to pick it off for the first one. And we just kind of talked about it. But, you know, after the first two games, BC and Miami, Matthew Hurt has totaled 38 points. He's gone 6 of 12 from three-point range. He hit mm-hmm. five threes against BC, then has six rebounds, four assists, two blocks, and three steals at Miami. Is it fair to say, or is this an overreaction that Duke has found in big three in Vernon Carey, Trey Jones, and now Matthew Hurt? I will allow that. Absolutely, I will allow that, and I want that. Like we we want and need that. I'll allow it. Vernon and Trey, you know, you knew about them. You know about them. That was a given. But to now have a reliable third option to score is is huge, and to have it from the position that Matt Hurt offers to have it from that four spot in college is awesome. And that's why I like having Matt Hurt right there as, as a member of what we might call a big three. 
because you don't have a lot of options in college where guys can guard the four spot at all. Like there's like if you think about teams right now in college, even some of the best teams in college at the moment, there's not a lot of guys who can guard the four spot because you either have teams with two bigs, two traditional type bigs like Kansas, for instance, who are going to struggle mightily with trying to guard a guy on the outside. Or you have teams like we played with Virginia Tech that have you know, maybe one big guy, if that, and they don't have anyone else who can guard someone at the four spot. Matt offers that for us, and we touched on it before with the BC talk. The high-low that he and Vernon are running are amazing. It's it's just it's too much. There's way too much for teams to have to guard on the floor. It doesn't have to be ball-dominated by Trey Jones. You can work the ball through those three and then and, and start including Matt and Vernon working with each other. And it's just, there's, there's way too much for teams to handle in that, in that regard. I'm going to allow that for sure. And that's even after just going on that tangent we did with Cassius Stanley, who's you know, clearly, you know, looking at as a hundred percent as we've seen since his injury coming out there, you know, putting up 20 points. You think that that's unfair to him to say that, you know, that that's actually our big three and it doesn't include him. No, I don't, I don't think it's unfair. I think that's the reason why he gets 20 is because there has to be so much attention played towards Trey, towards Vernon, towards Matt. And then he is the type of player who can absolutely take advantage of that. I don't want to undersell okay. him by saying that if he was the main scorer for a team, he couldn't do it. I don't want to say that because he has all the tools to be able to do it. But you can still see that you know he, he's he's not a takeover type player. He's a very opportunistic player. Matt Hurt can take over. We saw it against Boston College. Vernon can take over. We've seen it the entire time. And and Trey can take over. We've seen it. We saw it with Georgia State when he got his 31. Like, we've seen him be able to, and even against Miami, he didn't take many shots. We were watching that, and we were like, oh, yeah, he hit that layup in the second half. We were like, yeah, I don't think Trey's taking a shot. And then he really hadn't. Like, he had that breakaway layup in the first. He just wasn't looking for his offense because he was setting so many guys up, and so many guys were taking advantage of it. This is not like last year where, Taco Fall can sit back in the middle of the lane and, and let Trey go off and do what he wants to do. This, this is not that type of thing anymore, man. He's Those three guys, Trey, Matt, and Vernon, absolutely are the three that teams have to game plan around. And because of that, guys like Joey, guys like Cassius, and guys like Wendell even at times are going to be able to get off, pause, and have great games because they because they can feed off of those those three guys. Yeah, no, it's hard to argue with any of that. All right, what do we got next? Let's go second one. All right, man. So Ken Palm put out a tweet saying, regardless of ranking, any kind of rankings, Duke, Kansas, and MSU right now are the, clearly the three best teams in college basketball. Do you think that's an overreaction, or will you allow that statement from Ken Palm himself? Where did Ken Palm go to school? Um, it's funny you should ask that question. Ken Pomeroy is a graduate of Virginia Tech, my man. All right. Well, at least you guys got somebody. <laughs> All right. Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. What a that- setup. What a setup. That's a Trey Jones setup right there, man. And then you stole it from me. <laughs> that was Trey. The Trey Jones of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Um, all right. So uh, originally I was going to say that uh, I thought that was a, a bit of an overreaction, but if you actually go by the numbers, I'm going to allow it. I'll allow it. It certainly applies to Duke. And I know that Jay Billings mm-hmm. talked about it against uh, in, in the Miami pot, uh, in the Miami game. Duke offensively at their adjusted offensive rank is number five uh adjusted defensive rank is number three that is Mm -hmm. astounding you know two top five offense and defense in ken Pomeroy's rankings that's pretty amazing 
Uh, Kansas is 15 and second in, in those same uh, categories. And then you have Michigan State, who's first and 26. And then now kind of look back, you know, Joe's Ohio State and Gonzaga is all the way down there at nine. Uh, and really, it has more to do with their adjusted defense uh, sitting there at 59. So, yeah, I am going to allow it. Uh, but the beauty of this is that Duke has already played and beaten both of these teams, mm-hmm. uh, one of which they beat pretty handily. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if we're going to look at this, just from a Duke standpoint, uh, I think that it's hard to argue at this juncture that we are not – I got to be honest, I, I, we're the best team in the country. Uh, yes. Just from statistical standpoints uh, and what we've done so far, we're the best team in the country. Michigan State has certainly rebounded from the struggles that they had early in the season. And with all the other struggles that I've seen teams have, Ohio State, uh, you know, Louisville, Maryland included, Gonzaga mm-hmm. just barely beat Pepperdine. I know you're right. high on Pepperdine, but <laughs> you know, that's not going to get it done. And then, and then you look at Kansas, and we knew that Kansas would be a good team. Uh, we just happened to catch them on, you know, the first night of the year, I think. So right. it wouldn't shock me at all to see Duke and Kansas in the Final Four. But with, there's a long way to go before we get to that point. So I'll take it back over to you. I don't think it's an overreaction. I'm going to allow What do you think? No, I, I'm with you. I, I still think Michigan State's a little bit of an overreaction. They did just hand Michigan – handed them their tails today, but Michigan's not as good as what people wanted them to be when they went yeah. to that tournament and all of a sudden jumped up to the number four team in the nation after being unranked. Like that was an overreaction a little bit. Yeah, they it did was look an overreaction good, but, and it, yeah. it happened to be because they beat, you know, multiple top ten teams, but then you start looking at it. One of those top five teams at the time was UNC. And right. we know where that is. I just exactly. want to throw that in there. Go ahead. No, I, lo- I love it. Anytime we get those shaded, then man, please let's do it. No, I, no, I, I, Duke and Kansas are are the top two. We saw it in New York. Those two teams look really good. They have all of them. Have, both teams have really good pieces, and those two teams, I believe, are the anomaly with what we're saying about how there's so much parity in college basketball. Those two are they are head and shoulders better than everyone else. And you look at their adjusted defensive rankings and adjusted rankings, and those are the rankings that you see two and three years ago, when we say that there were great teams just two or three years ago, those same great teams were putting up the same type of numbers. So yeah, the competition might be down a little bit based on the teams that they're playing because they're not as good as they might've been a couple of years ago, but those are, they're still playing good teams and they're still doing incredible things against those good teams. The team I would replace MSU with right now would be Oregon or maybe Baylor. Those two teams right now are really playing good basketball. I love the way Baylor plays defense and I love what they they offer and bring with their size and length. And then Oregon has Peyton Pritchard playing amazing point guard right now. And they have a lot of key pieces as well that are just helping them kind of do some of the same thing. So I'm not, I'm not sold on Michigan state yet. Langford's not even back yet. I'm not sold on right. him on them. I'm not sold on him making them all of a sudden the best team in the nation again. I'm not. So not, I like it. I like it. And just for, for those that are wondering, UNC is clocking in at 58 in uh, the Ken Palm Rampers. To be honest with you, I'm not even sure how they're that high, to, if we're being completely sure. Um, so, right, switching gears, yes. <laughs> let's wrap this one up. Let's wrap this one up. Uh, so it just came out, uh, there were some rumors over the last month or so that Jalen Johnson, who is enrolled in IMG, is, and it is official now that he is no longer enrolled in IMG. Is this a concern that he may 
ultimately not enroll in Duke because there has been a rumor out there that he might kind of follow that R.J. Hampton uh, path and and go to right. Australia. I I wouldn't worry about that. I'm gonna call. I'm definitely gonna call that an overreaction. I'm not too worried about that. That was an overreaction. We've seen, especially recently, we've seen guys do this already. Even with Duke, we've seen Harry Giles leave Oak Hill early because of his injury. We've seen Hamadou Diallo leave early and enroll in Kentucky early. I I have a feeling that's what Jalen Johnson is going to do, is he's going to leave and then enroll in Duke because he has enough credits already to do so and just train with the staff for half a season, almost like you see a lot of guys doing football with, I think they call it a gray shirt or whatever, train with the staff, train with the team, and then be ready to rehab and be ready to go next season because that's going to be his showcase year. It makes no sense for him right now anyway to go overseas or to go to Australia. You have no idea what's going to happen there with, I mean, we the, the bushfires that are happening over there are terrible. It's a horrible thing. And it's really, it's causing a lot of issues with, with just, you know, a, a, a microcosm of what's happening there. But the sporting events there, like soccer, football, baseball, or basketball, excuse me, those sports are, are being postponed, shut down and things like that because of what's happening. So it doesn't make sense for him to make that move. I, I really think that this is just, I think people are reacting a little bit. This is just him not wanting to waste two months and possibly get injured again on two months of meaningless high school basketball and go ahead and let's just get to Duke, do what we need to do and, and make that money after this one season at Duke next season. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I, I don't know too much uh, about this situation, but it's certainly in today's high school basketball realm. It, it's, mm-hmm. Nothing's off the table as far as I'm concerned. Nothing surprises Absolutely. me. You know, if, if Trey Jones decides he's going to go to the NBA last year, we probably get RJ Hampton, I think. But, you know, right. crazy things happen. And so nothing would surprise me. I mean, hell, Weissman just left uh, Memphis said, I don't need this. And that's in college. Mm-hmm. So again, nothing would surprise me. Hopefully he, he sticks with his commitment to Duke. Uh, do you think that the interest in Kaminga is that, does that have anything at all to do with this recent action with Jalen Johnson leaving ING? Oh, no, absolutely not. I, I think it's the contrary. I think Jalen wants another running mate because before when he committed to Duke, it was lined up for him to have possibly Zaire Williams, possibly BJ Boston, possibly Cade Cunningham. And he's the type of guy who wants to set guys like that up. He he knows what he does. He says it himself. He patterns his game after LeBron and Ben Simmons. Both of those guys need other guys around them to make them do what they do, which is distribute the ball, get the pressure off of them, and then go get their offense. He's not the greatest shooter in the world. He's he's a really good driver of the basketball. So, yeah, he, he needs things to open up for him. So he absolutely needs guys around him to do things. And who knows who's staying off of this team, if anybody is at all. You know what I mean? So he, he wants guys with him. So Kaminga is, would only be helpful for Jalen Johnson and vice versa. So I, I don't think he's scared of anyone. He's, he's too good of a player. Gosh, I wasn't going to say he was scared of anyone. I didn't know if, you know, the staff thought, okay, maybe Jalen's not coming. But I got you, I got you. I got you. Certainly understandable. Um, uh, let's switch gears to, uh, to do our next segment. Uh, what's going on in the world of the ACC? It was kind of a crazy weekend on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, you know, FSU goes to Louisville and handles them pretty easily. Uh, yeah, UVA, man. UVA goes, uh, excuse me, uh, handles Virginia Tech quite easily at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duke obviously blows out Miami. 
Georgia Tech goes into UNC, blows them out. Love it. Uh, which was fantastic. I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, Duke right now is tied with UVA, shocker at the top of the ACC at 3 and 0. FSU is right behind at 3 and 1. Louisville's 2 and 1. BC's 2 and 1. Georgia Tech is 2 and 2. What is going on in the ACC after, you know, kind of the first major weekend that you've seen? It's it's already happening. It's what we talked about. It's the middle of the ACC is just going to be a muddled mess because no one in the middle of the ACC is a top level type of team like we've seen in the past. And the bottom of the ACC is a little better than we thought that they would be like the, the wake forest of the world, the Virginia techs of the world, they're better than we thought they would be. So we're, that's what we're seeing. We're already seeing it three games into the ACC season and we got 17 more to go, man. So it's, it's only going to be crazier as, as things go on. When you meant, you mentioned some of the games that we saw like Virginia tech, UVA, like, Tech, that's not the same tech team that played Duke and Blacksburg for sure. They just kind of settled for outside jumpers. UVA, it, it looks good on the surface, t- making a team like Virginia Tech score only 39 points. But I'm telling you, I watched that game, and there was nothing special about what that UVA team did. Jaquite is getting a lot of credit for doing things that he he's just, I don't know, he's he's a very cocky player. He's not that good, and I really, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with Duke. I, I'm, I'm very interested for that game. I would love for us to bring them down to earth a little bit because I, I have a feeling that's what's going to happen. The the pack line defense, that gimmick, it, it with other teams that Tony Bennett has had, it has looked better and has been run better. This team, their their pack line is just I don't know. It's it's there's nothing special about the way they play defense. Virginia Tech just kind of sat outside and shot threes the whole time, and it wasn't because UVA made them do that. That was the game plan, and they weren't hitting their shots. So I don't know. This UVA team is not as great as. I think it's being made as they are. FSU is absolutely better than they are getting credit for. It's it's your same Leonard Hamilton. Let me have three seven footers. Let me have seven six foot eight plus dudes, and then I'm gonna fill in some tough minded guards in there behind them. And MJ Walker is a great shooter. He's gonna be a problem for a lot of teams to deal with. It's not gonna be fun playing them after that three game stretch that we have in February, that's not going to be a fun game for Duke to play at all. Uh, it's, it's not, it's just not. And they, I mean, they're a tough team, man. They they really are. And, and the only other team that, you know, I just, I guess I want to just bring mention to again, and maybe two teams, NC state and Clemson, they both have really good scoring guards. We play them both away. And those are two games that worry me for Duke away. So, and Clemson is coming up soon. So we'll see, we'll see how, how that one goes. So I guess, you know, my question would be, is FSU now after, you know, kind of this weekend, is that, is that, is that in your world, in your world, the toughest competition that Duke is going to have at the top? Yeah, because of what they, what they bring. They have so much, we're, we're a team that has height and length and they are a team that also has that same height and length. They have this, the same amount of athletes, all of the above. We're just, we're a little more talented than their team is i think that's where we get the edge and obviously you know I mean, and coach k and leonard hamilton yeah coach k is a little better than hamilton but leonard hamilton is a really really good coach and i think it's cliche to say he doesn't get enough credit the guy gets credit like he's a really good coach people know it but he's he's done a really really good job and this is probably another one of those years where k probably deserves coach of the year in the acc and it's going right. to go to a leonard, leonard hamilton more than likely 
even if they don't win the ACC, it's probably going to go to him because no one still expects Florida State to be one of the top teams in the ACC, and they really are. And they showed it with just really just handing Louisville just anything. Like they, Louisville can do anything. It's the same Louisville team we saw last year fold against Duke. It's Chris Mack is going to Chris Mack. The guy is he's an overrated coach in my opinion. Don't want to sit here and just badmouth the guy, but he is. He doesn't know how to handle the pressure. And they still turn the ball over so much, and that's something that we're going to be able to take advantage of when we play Louisville. I'm saying it right now. So Louisville's not the second-best team in ACC. For me, it's, it's, it's definitely Florida State. Fair enough. And, and I don't think Chris Knapp's listening to the podcast. So <laughs> I think, I think, maybe I think we can get one as a guest. Yeah, maybe. I think that he's not high on my list. All right, so right, right. here we have it, a quick ACC recap for everybody. Let's switch gears and finish this podcast off with Wednesday night. 9 p.m. ACC Network. Duke plays Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is 7 and 7, but of course they're coming off their uh, big win uh, at UNC. AC, I, I don't really see this being a matchup. I think that you know Duke comes into to Atlanta and, and really takes care of business right from the jump. I don't see this team as one that uh, is going to take anything for granted uh, again. Uh, right. You know, since. since uh, you know, that, that team we're not going to mention, Stephen at Boston. <laughs> uh, really, is, that was the turning point of the season. So uh, I don't see us taking anything lightly or taking anything for granted. We're going to go down to Georgia Tech, and I'm just going to keep this quick. We're going to win that game 91-64. to 64. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's going to be like that. Lord, and I don't think that you're wrong. Uh, it, Georgia Tech looked pretty bad throughout December. They lost – Alvarado for a little while there. He's back now and he's playing well. And it shows in how they shoot the three ball. They they're definitely shooting a lot better than they were before because he's he's able to set guys up now. That's something that they lost there for a little while. So they have that back. They have some size in there with with Moses Wright really able to do some work down low. I I, I like their team. Like the the makeup of their team is good, but you know, Tech has never really had a huge home court advantage and I, I don't see this being a game where we're trapped because we go to somebody's home court and they're just rabid fans or anything it's not one of those situations so I'm, I'm with you I think we go down go down and handle business in Atlanta I think we do it to the tune of 85 to 65. There we go and then on Saturday night 8 p.m. students should be back in the building Duke plays Wake Forest I will be there as well um, you know, I have a question for you. How is right. Brandon Childress still at Wake Forest? <laughs> he came in right after his dad, right? Like, he, I mean, he I came, think they played in the same around back- 1998, didn't he? Yeah, well, he, they played in the same backcourt. I know that. Uh, but he, he's leading Wake Forest in scoring yet again uh, with 15.7. Yep. He's, you know, he's obviously a, a Grizzly veteran. But I, I don't see, you know, I don't see him doing what he wants to do against Trey Jones. Uh, again, I think there's going to be a lot of excitement in the building uh, with the students back in action. So give me Duke in this one, 84 to 62. Okay, I like that. Yeah, this this game worries me more at Wake than it does in Cameron. Olivier Saar is having a good a, a good last couple of months now. He's he's really stepping up to be to be that junior presence down low, big seven footer, decent rebounder. He's having a good season. 
you know, Brandon Childress is definitely playing playing really well. You mentioned he's been there for 105 years, so he he knows the system really well. Um, again, this is this is one of those situations where they like to turn the ball over a lot, and that's what we do. So, um, I really am interested to see if we'll be able to turn them over, which I think we will. And if we can turn them over, then it's going to be a walk away like the last two have been. So, give me give me Duke with. 20 turnovers this game and give me a score of 88 to 61. There we have it. All right, two big games coming up here in the ACC. Let's get ourselves to 5-0, uh, a quarter of the way through the ACC schedule. Not much else to say, AC. We left where we're sitting at, and we love where UNC sitting at. Go Duke. <laughs> Go Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the 5-Point Play Podcast the number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at five point play podcast. That's the number five point play podcast. And on Twitter, five point play podcast. Go Duke.